0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Lodge, and it's my job to make the time you're about to give me as valuable as possible. My job here is to share content I've made across all of my endeavours and ventures as an entrepreneur and bring you stories, lessons and insights from my conversations with some great achievers in business and personal development. I'm an author, the CEO of the Blue Sky Thinking Group here in Dubai, and a really passionate content creator. Also, I'm on my own creative journey, and with so much going on, this show is a way for me to funnel out value from all of the work my team and I are doing so that we can share it with our audience online in an easy audio format. Now, for those of you that attend my seminars or follow me on social media, this is just some extra material to get stuck into on your own journey in business, sales, personal development, or whatever aspect you're working on improving your life. In today's episode, I'll be doing that by sharing an interview I did with Harvey Bennett. It was recorded just a few weeks ago here in Dubai. Now, Harvey is the co-founder, his wife is the other founder, of a company by the name of Searchy, And Searchy is the first company of its type here in the Middle East that is disrupting the recruitment industry. And it's an industry that I've got an awful lot of peeves with, if I'm really honest with you. It's not an industry I like. I don't think recruiters really do an awesome job overall. Of course, there's some good guys out there. But artificial intelligence and machine learning is something that a lot of us are thinking about for the future, but not right now. But Harvey's grabbed hold of this technology. He's a a really smart guy, and he's using that technology to help recruitment strategies work way more effectively in businesses. Now, I met Harvey through a friend of mine, Raza Jafar, who's the CEO of the Palazzo Versace and also the Capital Club here in Dubai. And I'll share more about that when I come back at the end of the interview. Now, the interview lasts around 45 minutes and I really enjoyed it because it's a real aspects of this that I benefited from. Number one, learning about machine learning and artificial intelligence was great, but also learning from someone that gets it, that doesn't, doesn't complicate it, that dumbed it down for me in a way that I could palette it and understand. You know, I know there's a lot of incredible takeaways, especially if you're currently, you know, in, in business and wanting to grow and look to the future. You know, an entrepreneur really has to look to the future. And there's no point you being stuck in today when everything is going to be changing over the course of the next few years. And if you don't believe me, just follow D, uh, Dr. Peter Diamandis because if you listen to him, you'll know exactly what's going to be happening over the next 10 years. Now, if you've enjoyed several of these podcasts, or even if it's your first one, I'd really love for you to rate and review the show. Ideally a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or some love on SoundCloud comments. It'll all help get the show discovered. And at the end of the day, lots of people can benefit from this content. So if you do that, please, please, please get it done. And do you know what? This is just a request from me saying I want other people to see and hear this content. I want other people out there to benefit from the knowledge that some of these people that I interview have and because I really think it's valuable to entrepreneurs. So if you're ready to get stuck in, I really hope you enjoy my interview with Harvey Bennett. Remember at the end of the interview, I'll be back to tell you more about how the interview took place, what I've learned and applied and share a few extra notes about the content. So without further ado, Harvey Bennett. So welcome, Harvey, founder of Searchy. Thanks for coming on the show. Man, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, a little bit strange knowing you and having you come in and sharing your story because I think <laughs> I've heard a lot about you already and uh, got to know you a bit over time. So for the benefit of the listeners out there today, first of all, tell us, yeah in one minute, tell us where you're from and how you got here.
1: Sure. Um, I'm. I'm just a normal dude. I came from London nearly eight years ago, started working for a media agency here, was all into kind of digital marketing and analytics and statistics, started my own media agency here. And after a few years, kind of moved on my journey. And now I'm running a company that uses artificial intelligence to predict personality and do really good recruitment. Okay. Why
0: did you choose Dubai?
1: I got a phone call from a friend of mine who said, I've been trying to get you on LinkedIn, use LinkedIn. And this is a point in my life where LinkedIn and social media were just no-nos for me. He goes, I've been trying to get hold of you on LinkedIn. Will you not answer? Well, just respond. So he ended up calling me in the office because we used to work together. And he said, listen, there's something over here. It's really interesting. The market's very thin in terms of competition. I think you'd smash it. So get on the plane, come over, and let's see what you can do. So I did that within three months I was over here, had no experience of the market, of the region, obviously it was all fresh to me. And yeah, it's kind of been a journey since then, a vortex.
0: (laughs) And did you, when you came here and you got into the industry you're in, did you bring lessons and and, and knowledge from Mm. the UK here? Because this market was kind of like trying to catch up with the UK and so you could see yourself ahead of them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we were, I reckon when I moved over here, the stuff that I was pitching to clients was probably between four and six years ahead of what the rest of the market was doing. So, we often would get into pitch situations, and clients would turn around and say, What you're saying is great, but it's not technically possible. Because everyone else was pitching down here, and we were pitching at this higher level. So, it all sounded like it was just techno magic without being a reality. So, that was, I definitely brought a <coughs> lot of skill over from the UK and a lot of experience over from the UK. I had a couple of guys that taught me an enormous amount of technical stuff in the UK, which carried me really well here.
0: What have you learned about Dubai that will stay with you forever professionally? That is such a good question, man.
1: I think some of the things that stand out, I wouldn't say they're necessarily about Dubai, but I've learned while being in Dubai. One of the things that I've really, really learned a lot about is being conscious of the journey that I'm on And being present in myself and having an understanding of the impact that I can have on the audience and the people who are around me instead of being completely kind of self-centered and only understanding my perspective being way more tolerant and conscious of what's happening around me and how my actions influence other people
0: that's definitely something I've learned in the last six seven years so explain to like you had to explain to me once when i sat there looking at you thinking you're an alien (laughs) (laughs) explain explain to people what your company is and what you actually do
1: on the surface of it we're a recruitment agency a recruitment company we take a brief from an employer over here and then we try and find people that match to that brief the difference in our approach to that problem is that we are using technology machine learning, deep learning, tools like this, that allow us to quickly predict personality and cultural values of individuals, put them into into kind of made-up scenarios and situations, and then extrapolate or understand, if I put Spencer in this situation, this is how he's going to behave and then use all of that data to make a a story for all of the the employers for every single candidate. So is that when I go to an employer and I say, Spencer's gonna be amazing at this job, they can see a report that explains in loads of detail, he's gonna behave like this in the working environment. When he's with people, he likes to lead from this particular style. His most dominant working styles or, or dominant natural abilities are persuasion and presenting. He's rubbish at planning. Things like that, which really help to create a a compelling story for any employer to understand this person can do the job. This person can behave in the way I need them to behave. And finally, that this person shares the same kind of cultural values and needs as we exhibit as a business.
0: And and I guess you'd you'd never learn that from a CV in a one hour or two hour interview.
1: You're absolutely right. It's very, very difficult to make those judgments from an individual unless you put them through a psychometric assessment. And most psychometric assessments are a list of 180 questions with kind of a spectrum.
0: Yeah, I've done them, like McQuaig and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Gallup, things like that, right? And depending on how you answer each of those questions, it then says, okay, well, you're, you're like this or you're like that. The difference between those kinds of assessments and our kind of assessments is we don't ask you to fill in a survey. We don't ask you 180 questions. We ask you to perform a video interview and then offer that video interview I'm looking, or our machine rather, because I don't look at it. Our machine is looking at your microfacial expressions, your body language, your tone of voice, your vocabulary. And it's analyzing all four of those things and saying, okay, well, based on the words that Spencer used when he answered the question, based on how he leaned back when he answered the question, based on how engaged he was when he looked into the camera and he started discussing this thing, here are all of the, the personality traits that he's exhibiting to us. So we use about 10 to 20 minutes worth of video to predict your personality more effectively than your wife could predict your personality. Wowza! Yeah.
0: So my next question is, how how on earth did you get into this, Mm. onto this, involved in this? Where did it come from for you?
1: So for me, this is not my first startup. In my first company, I went through some challenging times, and I... I was betrayed unfortunately and I remember I remember when
0: oh, I rem- what do you mean you can't just kind of like touch on that what do you mean you I'm coming Ubers I'm you're
1: coming I'm stuff. coming so unfortunately after a few years my relationship with my co-founders disintegrated to zero and things got very complicated and very legal I felt betrayed by them I'm sure they probably felt betrayed by me I also felt betrayed by many of the other team members which I'd hired so we grew from four people to 25 people in under two years. We were banging contracts out with huge clients for large sums of money, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And yeah, after a few years, the relationship soured and and they kind of ejected me from the situation uh, or tried to unilaterally eject me from the situation and the relationship, which it burnt me really bad. I spent about a year after that just kind of drowning myself and really struggling to come to terms with that entire experience. And fortunately, my wife was was instrumental in dragging me back from this kind of self-destructive pattern that I'd found myself falling into. But that betrayal for me felt like, the lesson I learned from it was, you can't, you're not a good judge of character. (laughs) I'm just not a good judge of character. I'm too naive, I trust too easily. And so as a consequence of that, after a couple of years, we started kind of building this this framework for, for recruitment which was matching people based on can they do the job do they behave the way you need them to behave do they have the same cultural values and needs as as the company needs and obviously being a poor judge of character and being into technology and and, and analytics I was very interested in how can we develop a method which will take some of the guesswork out of that and replace it with science and in the process we've kind of accidentally begun democratizing psychometrics which for me is something really important because the number of, of psychologists in the world is very, very few. There are more billionaires in the world than there are psycholo- like really? properly trained psychologists who can, who can predict personality off of just a handful of, of, of uh, features and, and, and uh, signals. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do find those people, they cost so much money. Getting a psychometric report done from the, the center down in Knowledge Village Um, Which is around the corner from where we are now Can be anywhere from five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, and I can do it for you in ten dollars So all of a sudden We're providing employers with this opportunity to get way more insight about someone before they even interview them face-to-face At a fraction of the cost of what you would normally you pay to get a CEO tested for example
0: so You went on this journey, your wife was instrumental, you say at pulling you out of that hole that you were in, you identified some character flaws, and that made you inquisitive about learning about understanding, essentially, personality and behaviors, just from that experience yourself.
1: Yeah, so from that, and also there's an economic requirement as well, like I've got to make money to live, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm hashtag (laughs) unhirable. Because, you know, I started my first company when I was 26 and I was I was managing a team of 35 people by the time I was 28. And especially in, in companies where there is some politics that can be perceived as a threat because the experience <coughs> that I have is, is almost entirely around identifying simple solutions to complicated problems using technology, a.k.a. innovation. So a lot of people find that intimidating So, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of it was based on my experiences. A lot of the motivation was based on my experiences. A lot of it was based on I need to find a way to make some money and I can't get a job because I'm intimidating, apparently. Mm -hmm. The other part of it is I've positioned myself in a place where I don't feel like I can work for someone else with the kind of freedom that I need to pursue the things that I know I'm good at and the things I know that I enjoy without having to compromise on them.
0: So, would you regard your wife as a mentor?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think i would i think i would Uh, one of the things that i've noticed over the last four years and even even more so in the last kind of two months is going through this journey of consciousness right i really really have this this kind of deep feeling that and that as a as a species we all have to to open and improve our levels of consciousness around specific things which we may have felt were not our problem previously um, and one of the guys that was kind of instrumental in sending me along this journey gave me an example of, you know, imagine an example where you go and you get, a, you get a dog and you train this dog to protect you. So whenever it hears something, it barks to alert you that there's something around. And then after a little while you realize that there's not, not so much to be afraid of. And so every time the dog barks, you get angry at the dog. And you scold the dog, you say, dog, shut up, stop barking. The dog is doing what it was taught to do, and it is responding to a signal which you might not be conscious of. But that dog is absolutely (laughs) conscious of it. So rather than getting angry at the dog, you need to recognize that the dog sees something that you don't. And therefore, you need to pay attention to what that particular animal is telling you. And rather than scold it, be open-minded to it. Change your mindset so as you become open-minded to the lesson and to the message that it's trying to imprint on you. And certainly in the last, I would say four years, but specifically in the last kind of two months, as I've become more and more kind of awoken to this kind of consciousness journey that I'm, I'm trying to go through, I've noticed more and more when there are disagreements between myself and my wife, more and more frequently i stop i give myself pause and i recognize that if she's disagreeing with me about something it's because she says she sees something that i don't necessarily see Mm -hmm. and she's trying to warn me about that and rather than getting inside my own head and getting all all arrogant about it and getting all like i know best and, and narcissistic about it if you can slow down and identify that that person is trying to protect you from something you become much more open-minded to hearing what they've got to say. So definitely in the last two months, more and more, I'm becoming way more aware of, of, of my wife being a mentor for me, yeah.
0: Do you have any other mentors? I'm kind of in the market,
1: Spence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of people that I, would, that I would say are in that kind of, in that function without necessarily formalising it. So I lean on you a fair amount. And there's another gentleman uh, called mr Raza who I lean on quite a lot as well and my dad as well I guess although I didn't really realize it because when you're close to something it's difficult to see what it is but Mm. yeah my dad my granny actually died last night unfortunately
0: oh shit man
1: that's life man she was 91 Wow 91 German lady grew up in the Second World War was kind of pushed into the Nazi youth and then she left Germany with her mother Her father was conscripted into the army, the German, the Nazi army. Mm. And he went off to Russia and fought in Russia and then was taken prisoner and then escaped from the prisoner of war camp and walked from Russia through to Germany, through to France and got over to England where, where the family had moved to. And then, like, you know, she she was kind of a a late teen, early twenties in the in around the time of the Berlin Wall and East West Germany. So she was smuggling people backwards and forwards across the wall as well. So and then she had grandkids and kids and great grandkids. So it's not like it was something for us to be sad about, you know? Obviously the last few years she deteriorated and struggled with, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, which is sad and and was difficult. But 91 man, and to have done all of those things and seen all of those things and lived that full life. You've got to celebrate it instead of being, you know, miserable about it.
0: Fair point. Have you ever mentored anyone?
1: So I'm kind of trying to mentor a guy at the moment, a guy in the UK. So we're trying to do this remote kind of mentoring thing. It's a challenge. Why is it a challenge? I'm the sort of person to second guess myself. Especially when I'm giving advice to somebody else, something might come out of my mouth, and I might think that makes perfect sense at the time. And then an hour later, we're like, oh, I can't believe I just told him to do that.
0: <laughs> what would it take right now for someone to be mentored by you? What What would you look for?
1: So, in in kind of service design and design thinking and agile uh, project management, we talk about different roles. So we talk about product owners, we talk about the development team, and we talk about the masters. I would look for good product owners. So a product owner is someone who they understand the needs of the business. They understand the needs of the market. They can share the ideas back to the development team. They can share the feedback from the market back to the development team, and they can describe it in a way and communicate in a way that everyone can understand and get on board with. So yeah, someone who's got someone who's who's got that kind of relationship with the market and that ability to communicate the feedback between the different stakeholders someone like that I would I would be very happy to mentor
0: okay now talk to me about selling all right (laughs) you you have have got a business that essentially you have to sell to companies you also have to sell to raise finance yeah tell me about your your kind of understanding of the word selling or sales and and how much effort or time or respect you give the need for knowing about it so
1: i've always considered myself to be to take a consultative approach to selling i don't want to push my my, my product onto anyone i want you to want it so i'm going to do everything in my power to 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 mind fuck you into wanting my product <laughs> So yeah, I'm going to do everything in my power to make you believe that you want it more than I want to sell it to you. And that's that's always been my style. And it, seemed, it seems to work, or it has previously worked on kind of large ticket items, so anything north of $2 million. I find that that approach tends to work quite nicely. It does mean that the whole process is way slower because I'm trying to convince you that it's your idea and you want it more than I want you to buy it. Mm-hmm. So the sales cycle takes a lot longer. And now as we're selling a product which is way more commoditized or not quite commoditized but we're trying to commoditize it as we're selling a product which moves much faster i'm beginning to become far more aware and conscious of the need to have people who perform different roles in the sales funnel and the sales journey and who can get it done much faster
0: do you think that if you were a, a more competent experienced committed salesperson, that maybe you'd think otherwise no i don't think that that's in my personality but let's say you were let's say you were a decent sales guy through your efforts you'd knocked in in six weeks the two million you were raising yeah
1: it's just selling yeah yeah yeah. i mean look i think sales is a hundred percent a skill 100 percent, no shadow of a doubt there are other there are so many other factors as well which are out of your control to an extent now what your timing's got to be right if you imagine like a, a series of circles that overlap each other, right? So you've got three different circles. You've got your product's got to be right. Mm-hmm. You've got your timing that's got to be right. And then your pricing that's got to be right. Uh-huh. But then there are external things that can come in and they can, they can break it. You know, you've got, all, you've got things like, I don't know, for example, the, the company that you're selling to could suddenly go bankrupt or it could have a hiring freeze on. And that could be an enormous company as well. We're, we're in the process of negotiating with a very, very, very large global company who just turned around and said, oh yeah, we were ready to sign a contract but we got a hiring freeze on until 2020. And we couldn't, we'd done, we've done everything that we had to do and they were ready to do it. But then these external things come and you can't predict them and they just happen. Obviously part of the skill, I say obviously, but for me part of the skill of being a salesperson and part of the, the personality requirements for being a salesperson are being tough enough and having enough determination to be like, that That doesn't bother me. I'm just gonna get on now. That was a shame, but I've now got one, two, three, four, five, ten 10 different prospects that I'm at the same stage and I'm gonna keep hitting them. I'm gonna keep knocking the door down. I'm not that guy. I'm like, I'm gonna put all of my eggs into three
0: baskets and if one of them happens, great. If the other two don't happen, fine. <laughs> when you look at the journey that you're on, from the start of, of, of essentially searchy beginning, mm. have you had any kind of trips over the curb, any painful moments, any defeats that, yeah. you've, that made you question what you were doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So some of the obvious ones, some of the like tactical ones. So we, we onboarded a very large regional airline and their normal hiring time, the hiring window is like six to nine months to find someone all the way through to onboarding. And we managed to get it down to six weeks using our technology, wow. and there were a lot of inter things, but A lot of internal delays that kind of caused things to slow down, because we could have had it done in 10 days, to be completely transparent. So we found the guy, and then there was Ramadan, and then two weeks after Ramadan, still nothing's happened, and then finally they get the offer letter out, and the guy turns around and goes, my wife's just taking the job in Poland, so I'm leaving the country. And all of us were just flattened, because it was this amazing company amazing employer, great client to have on the list, great testimonial they were prepared to give us, decent amount of money that we were going to make out of it. All of the stuff had worked exactly as we needed it to. And then
0: he moved to Poland. And that was it, it just fell on its face? Yeah. And that meant then that you couldn't continue with that airline?
1: No, 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 it meant that that particular deal, which was our pilot deal no pun intended I know it was an airline but as a as but that's not, pilot it's not your deal, fault why did they, uh, absolutely why, why did they not give you a, a chance game? to do it again No, they did okay they did they did but that is a good example of, of a time where we felt we'd done everything we had performed on every single level that we needed to perform right. it, and then it just fell down and it flattened everyone because it was it was really early as well so we were just just astonished that it was all working so seamlessly <laughs> it was just like wow it just works. And, then, and so that made us kind of question the model that we were using. And we pivoted away from that model to give us more control and, and safety. And there was, it was less of a pivot and more of an iteration at that point.
0: uh, The world of being an entrepreneur is a very lonely place for lots of people. You obviously want to be your own boss, so you choose that journey. But you are a co-founder, so your wife is the other founder of the business. How does that work? Uh, How does that work at dinner time? Always on, man. Always on. Are are you both as as, kind of like vested in the business emotionally, psychologically, uh, all time, all all day, every day, where it gets to a point where you talk about nothing else? So no, of course not. I mean, we've got two kids, right? So sure. we talk about
1: kids and work. I was explaining this to somebody earlier today. A lot of people are like, how can you work with your spouse? It must be really difficult. Don't you get a break? Don't you get annoyed? Don't you get frustrated? Yeah, of course I do. But there's something that is, that is easy to not recognize from the outside when you have a couple working as co-founders. And that is that everything that I do is to benefit her. And everything that she does is to benefit me because our futures and our, uh, our prosperity are inextricably linked. There is nothing to separate us. If she fails, I fail. If I fail, she fails. If she succeeds, I succeed. And that, that applies to our family, our economic situation, our work, our business. Hmm. So we actually have a bond that very few, other fa- very few other couples have because everything that I do has got to be to her benefit. And even when I get pissed off about something, and I'm terrible at doing it, but even if I get pissed off about something, I need to take a breath. And I need to recognize, like, okay, she's about to walk into a meeting with a large retail company. I can't go off on her right now because she's about to walk into that meeting. Like, I need to take a breath. Mm-hmm. And that gives me then pause to, th- to think and, and recognize, like, is this, is it that big a deal or are you just overreacting? Because... As, as humans, as, as uh, Peter Diamandis was talking about last night, we have this tendency, this genetic tendency to focus on the negative stuff. <laughs> and it's really easy, you know, it's really easy to be like, God, that was so bad. But actually, if you if you take some time to get present with that particular situation, you realize it's not that big a deal. Where do you learn from? What do you, how do you study? Where did you get your knowledge? I read a lot. I read a really <clears> lot, and I'm mainly into nonfiction and uh, research papers,
0: kind of scientific research papers. And are there any particular sources that have had a, a, a big impact on you? Are people like Peter, like yeah, I think he's awesome. Massive sources of inspiration. Yeah,
1: I, I find him. I find him to be it, okay. He says some really interesting stuff. He has done some incredible stuff. You know, he founded the X-Prize. He's basically the godfather of, of modern commercial space travel. He's the godfather of, of SpaceX, of Blue Origin, of Virgin Galactic. Without him, none of that shit exists today. And that for me is like, <laughs> amazing. And then the influence that he has on some of the, the great innovators and thinkers of our time, uh, I, find, I find that to be very inspiring, all on its own, without him saying anything. I think that that's just really, really awesome. Um, So yeah, definitely him, I find, I think that everyone, in order to find something that you're good at, you have to expose yourself to it, but a lot of the kind of really kind of techie, sciencey things are really techie and sciencey, and as a consequence of that, it becomes super difficult to to find a way to access it, everything feels really inaccessible, like when we started looking at machine learning and deep learning. It felt so inaccessible. It was just such a a black box of stuff that makes no sense. And even to this day, I look at some of the outputs that we receive, and I'm like, what the fuck? How did it possibly get that? I don't understand how that worked. But there are a couple of guys in the machine learning world who make things really, really accessible. And similarly, in in science as well, you know, you've got uh, people like Bill Nye, who was Bill Nye the science guy, he was, he was, he's been really good at making science accessible to younger generations. Um, Siraj Raval is an inspiration from the machine learning and artificial intelligence And community. these
0: are guys that you follow.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: And they're great sources of knowledge for you.
1: Yeah, and they break it down in a way which makes it accessible. And the important thing about that is that that opens the door. And then if you're interested, you will naturally want to go and learn more about it. So for me, like the, the getting into a lot of the neural network stuff that we do for predicting based on your face, what your personality is like. I struggled to work that out until I started listening to this guy called Siraj Raval talk about neural networks and how you can build your own stuff. And he, he didn't teach me how to do it, but he opened the door for me. And he made me feel like this is accessible. This is something I can get into. It isn't for like the
0: elite. It can be democratized. Um, but for me, that's really interesting. Tell me about self-awareness. Hmm. What's your understanding of self-awareness?
1: For me, it's the ability to understand the relationship that we have as individuals with all of the things that are around us. Whether that is you, the microphone, the camera, the water, the phone, or some music which is playing, or a sign like make it happen. Why am I in this room talking to you now? what in my journey brought me here to sit in front of a sign that says make it happen when I'm right right on the brink of closing a relatively decent seed round of investment. So I'm making it happen, I think, I hope. So I need to be, from self-awareness perspective, I regularly ask myself, why have you found yourself here? And what are the lessons from the things that are around you, whether it's a conversation that we're having, or whether it's a sign that's sitting next to me. I'm looking at that and wondering, like, have I manifested that? Has something else manifested that? Is it just a thing that happened? Or is there something for me? Is there something trying to tell me something? Is there something for me to learn from that? And that self-awareness thing, that kind of consciousness and journey through consciousness is really a topic for me which is really about having that Understanding that although you might not be able to define it, there is a relationship and there is an energy which surrounds all of us which wants to communicate with you. You just don't necessarily know how to understand what it's saying. And as soon as you can slow down and you can start to take time to be present with the information and the energy which is resounding around you, weird shit starts happening, man. Mm -hmm. Really weird. What do you do to keep fit? Um so I recently decided so another thing in my journey through consciousness is understanding that uh I can have a bigger influence on some of the big problems which are affecting the world than I think I can right so Global warming and carbon emissions is something which is a massive issue, which we should all be really, no, really conscious no, yeah, of.
0: yeah, you were telling me about you um being on your your carbon footprint diet. Yeah, exactly right. So in December,
1: beginning of December, there was a report that was released by the United Nations and and a group of science uh, scientific bodies about carbon emissions and just how damaging they're going to be if we don't make some take drastic action really soon. Um, And it had been on my mind for a while that I was maybe addicted to meat. A combination of that and then this report that came out uh, made me realise that actually it starts with us. It starts with each of us as individuals and consumers making a difference to the way that we live our lives, making that conscious decision to reduce the amount of meat that I'm eating. So now on this carbon footprint diet, my diet currently is about 15%. Weekly diet is probably about 15% meat at the moment. I can't quite cut it out yet. I don't know if I will ever completely cut it out. But yeah, so that's one of the things that I'm doing and that for me, that's a that's a, a health thing in terms of my diet and it's also a health thing for the planet as well. And do you do sports? I walk. Do go to the gym? <laughs> do to go running? Uh, yeah, I mean, I went through a couple of years of doing nothing uh, and then New Year's came along and I was like, yeah, I've got to do some running. So I use the track in Golden Mile probably three times a week at the moment. And use some of the stuff there and then there's like a little makeshift gym upstairs
0: do you have any kind of rituals that you have every day do you get up early and do a certain do you know do you meditate and
1: so i normally wake up and read a, a research paper
0: uh, that's normally the first thing that i
1: do in the morning do you um, wake up before the kids do you know, two years ago they would have woken up first 100 percent. they would have woken up first because they wake up at like six o'clock 6 30. and now like 10 minutes before i think because my body's become so used to it now 10 minutes before they wake up i'm awake
0: so yeah, just wake up. Hold oh, on a minute, I want to take it back to the subject. You um, you said you did the carbon footprint diet. Mm. Did did not eating meat make you feel healthier? Mm. Did it? Did it make you feel more more lost kind five of like? Kilos. I know you <coughs> felt you like, see so you lost weight. Did you feel more energy? Yeah. So you, had, so you stopped eating meat. You and like noticeably as well, right? What notice noticeably more energy? Yeah. Yeah, I did not feel as
1: lethargic, especially cutting out red meat. Red meat makes you feel real lethargic, and now when I have red meat which I, I, I'm struggling with red meat now because it just makes me feel really heavy and like, I can't really function and I feel uncomfortable and bloated and awful.
0: That's really interesting. It's weird. <laughs> weird. Hmm. And so married to somebody you work with, with kids working seven days a week as you do in essence, how do you find a way of making a work life balance? I fucking love my job. That's how we do it. Do the kids see enough of you?
1: That's the question I'm wrestling with. That's the question I'm I'll wrestling with.
0: Well, answer it with. yes or no. Do did they did see enough of you? So the fact you're wrestling with it means no. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, they should see more of you, you think? Yeah, I think so. So does that mean you don't have the balance?
1: No. Some of the basic principles of science are that energy cannot be created or destroyed. Right? It can only get turned into different types of energy. And if you were to imagine that as a diagram. If we have a flat piece of the earth here, and if I start taking earth out of this side and piling it onto this side, it's still a line. We've still got a flat line. It's just that now, the matter I'm taking out of here is getting piled up onto here. So it's still, in effect, the same line, just in a different direction. So really, what I'm saying is that there's only a finite amount of stuff and a finite amount of time, and can't fit everything into that time all the time. At the end of the day, because I try to do quite a lot of stuff, there is a hole <clears> that's created. you know And I'd like to think that I give my kids plenty of time, but I'm acutely aware that that is not enough time.
0: Okay, thank you for talking to me, Harvey. Tell me how do people, if they want to follow you find you, where, where do they go?
1: Pretty active on LinkedIn and I've recently started to chronicle my journey on Instagram. I'm really into this idea of sweating your philanthropy because I'm poor. I'm a founder, so that makes me like cash poor, apparently. According to my my bank manager. So yeah, on Instagram, I've started to try and chronicle my journey through mm-hmm. kind of sweating. What's your Instagram handle? Harvey underscore Searchy.
0: Okay, and and the website of your company?
1: It's Searchy dot So that's S E A R C H I E dot me.
0: Okay, so if you are in the business of sales or you run a large recruitment business or you run a large business that requires a lot of manpower then maybe looking in and into and understanding what searchy does will be at least a starting point for you to realize how Harvey and his wife Sahika are disrupting the the whole recruitment industry as we know so many things have been disrupted over the course of the last 20 years and that's only accelerating at a pace that we've we've really never seen so if you recruit people or you need to recruit people then maybe you need to think about what the future is going to be in the world of recruitment remember 20 years ago people looked at a cv for an average of 34 seconds <laughs> nowadays people look at a cv for an average of 8 seconds i think imagine, the numbers. That,
1: imagine that imagine that someone is judging you based on 8 seconds of pay-
0: So there you have it my interview with Harvey Bennett I really hope you enjoyed it and number one it was worth the time Uh, number two you learned a lot more about Harvey's story and his industry and number three it made you feel better about your entrepreneurial journey and the experience that you're going through at the moment So a little more on how this interview came about. I met Harvey through a guy called Raza Jafar. He is the CEO of the Palazzo Versace. He's very much involved in the United Nations, travelling all over the world, dealing with trying to save people from child slavery and child poverty. And he's just a genuinely really decent human being. And so Raza introduced me to Harvey and said, I think you two guys will get on. And I remember during the interview thinking, you know, that, that there was so much more to Harvey than just him being one of these techie AI machine learning guys You know to see that he had a problem, you know with his first business because he became Unmanageable and the partners that he was working with decided they didn't want him part of it was a real kind of Revealing moment um, he got a little bit emotional when he talked about it But uh, being being a guy maybe you didn't see that so much to see he failed and and realized that at the time he was uh, blaming everybody for the reason it happened but actually the reason he failed was down to him uh, you know he came through a battle with drink as well that was uh, that was affecting his life and he talks very openly about how his wife sahika really saved him from that and i know sahika as well i've got to know her and you can see she's very very strong and very determined and she's done an awesome job of getting him out of that mess and as harvey explained that that was really that was a really lovely thing to hear. I also uh, really benefited from the fact that I didn't really know much about machine learning. You know? It was something I was completely naive to. I'd heard it, you know, the terminology is spoken about a lot. I'm sure you, out there you have as well. You know, you've, you've heard machine learning and particularly artificial intelligence being mentioned, but I didn't really know much about it and it really gave me a good understanding. So I see Harvey regularly I saw him since the interview and uh, it was great having a chance to just get him to recap that time That we sat down and spent together and he, and he said to me He said oh, you you ask me questions that nobody else has ever asked me And I suppose that, that that's the job, you know on this podcast is to, is to forget to people to reveal Themselves who they are as human beings as much as who they are as professionals So what were my takeaways? Well number one the recruitment industry is broken uh, recruiters get paid to put bums on seats. Effectively, a lot of people complain about the quality of candidates that they get in the traditional model that's used. So, using artificial intelligence to, to and as a machine learning to interview candidates, and for that that machine learning approach then to decide who's the best fit for the job. You know, you just think about it, when you interview someone, if you ever have, you know, how do you know about their attitude? How do you know about their behavior? How do you know about their temperament? How do you know about their work ethic at an interview? Typically at an interview, they're sat there giving you their best, aren't they? They're selling themselves at a job interview. So you're gonna see the best of them in that moment and you have to make decisions after spending, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour with someone as to whether they fit in the business where AI helps to make that more definable and more reliable. And I think that that's something that we need to consider for the future because getting the right people with the right emotional intelligence as, as, as well as the, mo, uh, as the right IQ um, is really important in business. You know, We want staff to be loyal. We want staff to be part of the long-term journey of our businesses. And, and we know what it's like when you recruit the wrong person. The amount of times in the past over the years I've interviewed someone and thought, he's brilliant or she's brilliant, the person for the job only to find three months in that they're nothing like that. But then on the flip side, recruiting someone that I was having a 50-50 on and decided to toss a coin and say, give them a go, that turned out to be phenomenal, phenomenal employees and uh, and, and great people overall. So yeah, it's a, a really interesting subject matter. If you enjoyed the podcast, you got any feedback, drop me a note via my social media, spencer.lodge on Instagram, Spencer Lodge Official on Facebook. You know, my email address is sl at make-it-happen.com. I'd love to hear from you if you've got anything to say or if you've learned anything or you're starting to apply this on uh, on any show, any of the stuff I've done on any show, really. You know, if you're feeling extra generous with your time then a five-star review or comments on SoundCloud or anywhere you see this podcast would really help grow the podcast and get it out to more listeners. So I just want to say a big thank you for that. If you're going to do that for me, if you're not, why not? Come on, let's let's try and get other people to see it. So I don't know who's in the next podcast because I haven't interviewed them yet. However, if you would like to find out exactly where and when, then follow me on my Instagram handle. You'll find out all my latest news there, spencer.lodge, as I said, and you'll find out who's coming up in the next podcast. But until then, thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you again on the next episode of the Spencer Lodge podcast. Take care, folks.